Oh, play the theme music again. No, really? Okay, all right, don't. Do you want the theme music? No, do, oh, let's take a, a doodle poll. <laughs> uh, theme music, clap. No theme music. <laughs> Airball. The person slapped their leg again. <laughs> All right, play the theme music if you can. Receiving this message. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Access to entry 1351.PS13704, certificate number 40632, Lake Missoula. So I'm old enough to remember a time before the theory that the dinosaurs were killed by a giant meteor had even been posited, let alone widely accepted. All my storybooks said it was an open question when I was a kid, because I'm also extremely old. Yes, but I am older than you even. And in yours it said, the dinosaurs may be extinct someday. <laughs> and if they are... <laughs> Mine said, when Jesus wrote his first dinosaur... <laughs> I, I grew up in the... Uh, I was in, started school in the early 1970s, when all of the textbooks were still left over from trying to beat the Russians to the moon. So all of our textbooks were just like, here's... How to compute uh, low Earth orbit. Yeah, you know, like, uh, it's, it's Adam Freddy who's here to tell you all about the power of the nuclear bomb. Under your desk, kids. Yeah, duck and cover. You're not that old. But at some point along the way, the idea, the scientific community, began to advance the idea that the Yucatan Peninsula and the Gulf of Mexico are actually a giant crater formed when an enormous meteor hit the Earth, and the resultant cataclysm created a, an era of a sunlessness that killed all the cold-blooded animals. And there's evidence for this, right? There's a, there's a level of, a layer of iridium found at the right number, the right amount of 35 million years ago or whatever, almost worldwide, that seems to have extraterrestrial origin. Right. And I think now we mostly live in a world where that is presumed to be the story, you know, one of the stories of the Earth. And, um, and that's, it's so well known that it can be a comic trope, you know, in, right. in cartoons and stuff, there'll be dinosaurs seeing the, the, the comet coming. Yeah, the famous New Yorker uh, trope where it's, you know, where the <laughs> Two dinosaurs are on a desert island. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then the comet's coming. Um, I actually have a book of just far side cartoons with that premise. It's an entire <laughs> book. And the dinosaur says, on the internet, no one can tell you're a dog. <laughs> no. 
But uh, throughout a certain por portion of my childhood, this theory was greeted with incredible skepticism and like ridicule. By you. No, no, I was, I'm always a, uh, like an early adopter. You embrace science. I was like, that sounds better than the other theory. Meteor, I'm going with that. And, you know, uh, prior theories were that it was an era of volcanism and sure. lots of volcanoes created above this layer of smog. It could still be sunlessness, but it could have been our own volcano. Right, or that the, the decaying swamps created a methane cloud that blocked out the sun. Or something killed their food source, right? Yeah, right. And I feel like these could be, you know, multiple ones could be true to that. I've heard that the comet impact could be so bad that it could have started volcanic activity propagating through the other side of the Earth. Like, there might have been massive volcano eruptions from whatever is on the, the uh, what do you call it? The, Antipode, the antipode of the Yucatan, you know, the opposite point. Yeah, sure, the antipode of the Yucatan, that's what I call it. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the name of my prog band. <laughs> and, and I love the first antipode of the Yucatan <laughs> record, which is just called Antipode of the Yucatan, Roman numeral one. <laughs> <laughs> what is the difference between Roman numeral one and one? Seems more... Uh, more like an I? Seems more Rush-like yeah. to use Roman numerals. Oh, I see what you mean. It's steampunk. We're not using the cool numbers they have today. Right. We're going to go back in time for these old-timey numbers. Actually, the cool numbers are the, uh, the Arabic numbers. Oh, man. Those are so cool. They're way cooler. Anyway, we di digress. Um, but there are... Uh, and in fact, this theory that the comet... Uh, started, you know, like disrupted the crust of the earth enough yeah. that it created uh, volcanic eruptions around the planet is something I still sort of ascribe to because when I bought my house in Seattle, where we both live... I'm interested to hear how this is evidence for this theory. Uh, I what picked, element of a home purchase? I picked a house that was at an elevation and a location within Seattle that when the big one comes and creates, uh, first of all, a disastrous 9.9 .9 quake followed by a city-destroying mega-tsunami, followed by the eruption of Mount Rainier, and the enormous superheated lahar... The mudslide. ...that proceeds up the Duwamish River Basin. That's All what Tacoma deserves. Uh, then, then, uh, <laughs> I know, there's a Tacoma person. Oh, you're right. It's true, we suck. <laughs> um, all of that cataclysm will meet at the foot of the hill that house. I live on, <laughs> but I'm 700 feet up. And so I feel, like, I feel like when Seattle is just an archipelago of islands, I will be like pretty much the king of the Isle of Skyway. So, so the apocalyptic event, the disaster that will precipitate the sealing up of the omnibus forever, is actually something you plan on watching from your front porch, sipping a Snapple. Not from my front porch, from the windmill I build in my yard. <laughs> When, I, when my podcast dollars come rolling in. Um, but that theory is a kind of global theory, but there are a lot of theories of the geology of the Earth that are more local. Uh, there are phenomenon all around that we still don't really have answers to what caused them, even. Uh, I mean, obviously, ancient aliens played a big role. Well, in the pyramids, but are you saying that the aliens also did natural formations like Mount Rushmore? No. Because it looks, you know, how would they know what those presidents were going to look like? That's, but, just, that's just erosion. But the... the can they weren't there then. Um, but the Sahara Desert used to be a sort of lush subtropical plain. Right. And there are a lot of suggestions of how the Gulf Stream changes over time, or, or the idea that I'm sure we're all familiar with, with the, the flipping magnetism of the Earth. 
these are theories that we have that there is evidence for, but there are competing theories. The future people we're talking to don't know that at one time that head and a torch on the beach were just the top of a massive statue in New York Harbor. They, that you know, that they, would be an amazing reference if that head and torch weren't going to be 600 feet under the water. That's true. Or 200 meters. It is now canon that the Planet of the Apes movies take place in a domed undersea city <laughs> to account for recent developments in climate change. But a lo- there are a lot of things uh, interesting about the land form formations that make up the United States of America. And, of course, once upon a great long ago, all of the land on Earth was part of a supercontinent called Gaia, and they... Uh, they separated Pangea, right? Pangea, right? Where they, and they separated out into you know the other continents that we know today, and these are all things that happened millions upon millions upon millions of years ago. But there are some confusing and unexplained things in the, in our world today that that happened more recently, and in uh, in our Pacific Northwest, the geology there is very interesting. the uh, The whole of eastern Washington and eastern Oregon uh, is lava to a thickness of hundreds of feet that are a result of enormous prehistoric lava flows that came out of the, the megavolcano of the Yellowstone. Is the Yellowstone yeah. supervolcano? And that supervolcano erupted you know, in, in ancient history. It's multiple times, probably. That's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, and, but this lava is not, you know, it's not like farmable. I don't know if you've ever tried to farm <laughs> lava, but it's I'm not trying a, to picture. doesn't work. Um, what you would grow in lava. It's, you know, it's, it's resistant, right, to erosion. Sure. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout but in eastern washington there are also these very curious formations which are enormous structures that look like ripples. The ripples that you would see on the beach when the tide goes out and you see the, uh, the waves sand. do little ripples um, or ripples at the bottom of a river. But these ripples are 50 feet high and sometimes 300 feet long and arranged over the course of miles. And it was extremely confusing to geologists in the 19th and early 20th century, because what could possibly explain these things? It, it's also very unusual there that when a glacier forms a valley, the, the glacier digs out a valley that is, uh, that's a U-shape. Right. And when a river creates a valley, the river makes a V-shape. V-shape. But in eastern Washington, there are enormous canyons which are U-shaped. Like a, a square. Absolutely John squared just drew off. a square in the air, future listeners. You're driving across eastern Washington. It just seems like an endless, flat, 
plane, and then you come to a lip, and it's a 300-foot drop. It's like Minecraft. Just <laughs> straight to a valley floor, which is miles across, and then on the other side, another cliff. Yeah, there's a place called, um, it's Potholes. Mm -hmm. What's it called? Potholes something. National Cooley. Monument? Or and, and it looks like a dry waterfall. Like you've got... You've essentially got farmland on all sides, and then it suddenly just drops off like a matte painting from a movie, and it goes down, you know, 300, 500 feet to the valley floor, and there's no waterfall there. Right. At all. It's not like a little stream, even. It's dry. And it was sort of self-evident to geologists at the time that this was an example of the Columbia River having changed course. And at one point, the Columbia ran through here, and then it switched its way. You know, the Columbia is uh, an enormous river that runs through this whole region twists and turns, but this being a river bottom did not explain this like very it's strange square-shaped square -shaped canyon. And in the, in the early 20s, uh, a man named J. Harlan Bretz, who was a kind of radical geologist, <laughs> one of those radical geologists, theorized that in fact these uh, geological formations had been caused by a catastrophic flood or multiple catastrophic floods. But that happened in recent time. And by recent time, I yeah, mean how recent? 13,000, 15,000 years ago. End of the last ice age, more or less. Right, but certainly within the time of sure. modern humans. Yeah. Um, and is this controversial? Like, it almost sounds like some throwback to, uh, you know, some youth pastor saying, you know, all the dinosaur bones come from the flood, or right? Right, and it and it was incredibly controversial. It was he was drummed out of the the rebel geology society. <laughs> wow, even the rebel geology he was society. Too he was too radical, and he spent uh, he spent many years trying to demonstrate his theory or trying to prove his theory, and his theory was that as the ice sheet that had covered all of Canada and portions of North America retreated, it left behind an ice dam, which all I can do is, uh, is make a reference to Game of Thrones because that's every, what everyone is thinking. Uh, to futurelings, the Game of Thrones was a... They, still have, they have their mom's HBO password. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> it was a diversion that kept us from reading or <laughs> right. interacting with our children. Uh, but A giant wall of ice. A giant wall of ice that was... 9,000 feet thick, like an, a, a huge glacial sort of uh, dam in a, in a canyon that would have been like keeping this lake behind the Rocky Mountains. Almost two miles front to back. And the, that's wider than Game of Thrones, by the way. That's right. Take that's that. Right. Yeah, take that, uh, zombie dragon. <laughs> but the lake was 300 miles long. It was about half the size of Lake Michigan, bigger than... Uh, bigger than a, couple, a handful of the Great Lakes. Yeah, it'd be like Erie and Ontario put together. Yeah. And was it long? It was like filling a valley? or It filled not only that, that whole valley, but it went up you know, what, we, what are now river courses in mm -hmm. every direction. I mean, it was, a, it was an enormous lake behind a mountain range rather than a lake on a, on a flat sort of uh, Midwestern. It would look like, look like one of those um, southwestern lakes that are made when they dam a, a river and you've got all these tentacles coming off of Lake Mead or... Uh, yeah, Lake Powell. Lake Powell, for example. Uh, but as the glaciers retreated because of, um, of climate change in the 13,000s, this dam burst and burst in sort of a, in a very short order, burst all at once and let loose this enormous 200-mile lake all at once. 
What does that even look like? I mean, how fast is water going? So uh, water in, in that kind of volume is is moving at about between 50 and 60 miles an hour. Just a <laughs> oh wall, gosh. just a... 4,000-foot-tall like, wall of water moving 60 miles an hour across. It's Lake Michigan coming at you at the speed of a, yeah. at the speed of a car. Yeah. And what it did was effectively scoured all of the earth, 50 cubic miles of dirt. It just scoured it off of all of eastern Washington and down into eastern Oregon and out the mouth of the Columbia, creating a real fertile sort of plain or, or you know it, it it made the area around Portland uh, a really nice farmland so all of Portland's uh, microbreweries or whatever it's all grown with stolen topsoil once from, again from another these. reason to despise Portland they, <laughs> they stole all of our dirt uh, and this happened repeatedly because that ice dam would then freeze and another lake would form, not the same size, but in another enormous lake, and then it would break. And this is over a period of thousands of years. Not thousands. It happened in a relatively short amount really? of geologic time. So a few centuries later, the ice is back, and then about the lake 2, backs About 2,000 years, a series of about 40 of these cataclysms just kept wiping out whatever was there. Every 50 years. And taking everything, you know, whatever, like, unlucky... Yak farmer sort of was like, huh, nothing out here <laughs> with a, his hawk here and his yak. And he was just like, this seems like a good place to build a yurt. And then, <laughs> and he probably knows. He's like, now there's been a giant mega flood here every 50 years for the last 1900 years. But what are the odds that it would happen again? <laughs> you know, it's like the ultimate gambler's fallacy. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that there were, you know, there was probably some, uh, because uh, human beings entered the continental United States. About 8,000 years ago? Yes, that uh, sounds right. Eight or 9,000 years ago. So and there would have been no yurts in the way. Uh, this it just would, would have been mastodons getting Yeah, this wiped would have been away. just prior to human uh, habitation. And so it would have been, yeah, an awful lot of really pissed off saber-toothed tigers <laughs> uh, who just naturally don't like water. Not again! <laughs> uh, but it created these incredible sort of geologic formations, and our man, J. Harlan Bretz, was trying to convince the, the world geological community that this was, uh, that his theory was correct, right? This is what all scientists are trying to do with their, with their crazy-ass theories, like my crazy-ass theory that, that uh, Twitter sucks now. <laughs> uh, but he, and he would go to these conferences and just get shouted down and booed and tomatoes were thrown at him and so forth, uh, because I don't know if you know this, but they sell tomatoes at geologic uh, like Just in case somebody advances a theory that's a little too out there. That's right. Uh, here we go. They don't throw rocks. That would be too on the nose. <laughs> and painful if it landed on the nose. That's right. They, they, they throw sandstone, so it kind of... <laughs> yeah, they, throw, they throw mica. They throw the softest rocks imaginable. Here's some talc. Uh, and he actually had a friend named J.T. Pardee who, would, who agreed with him and would go to these events and supported him, but he actually worked for the U.S. Geological Survey, and so he had to professionally recuse himself from commenting one way or the other because he was, like, under contract. Sort of like any scientist or geologist working for the United States government now <laughs> would have to deny any knowledge of... Uh, Here are some words <laughs> you can't say. Lake Missoula, ice dam, abortion... 
Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start and and by the by the late 20s he had compiled enough information and enough evidence that it began to be accepted and when you see these formations and i highly recommend everyone at one point or another take a trip Eastern Washington doesn't sound like a destination resort, uh, and for good reason. <laughs> it is, uh, well, it's one of the American shitholes. But these formations are fantastic to see. I mean, overwhelming. And that's how Brett had the theory. He had seen these in person, and he was trying to persuade people who had not been there. And I've read that he was able to persuade some of his former uh, opponents by actually showing them the coolies, the, you know, the dry canyons, the dry waterfalls the scab lands, and people would be converted by actually seeing the scale of them in person. And you can imagine the light bulb going off in his head, uh, probably standing at the beach and watching those, um, watching the ripples of the tide going out and realizing that those formations looked exactly the same. It's like Isaac Newton if he'd gone to the beach instead of right. gone to pick apples. Gone to the apple tree. Uh, and the thing is that it, they're both regular and irregular, right? They aren't symmetrical or constant, but there is this regularity to them that is that's because of the hydrology of the, of the way the waves form at that, at that velocity. And Lake Missoula is the name given to the former lake that only existed when this ice dam filled up a bunch of river valleys, right? Right. And, and so we talk about uh, that area, I guess. And it's the Missoula River now and the Clark River, which goes into the... So Montana? Is that what we're Montana, talking? yeah. I've been to Missoula, Montana. It's very nice. It's very nice. I, I, you know, it's it, like it flooded Asheville. eastern Washington, which is great. It's like Asheville, North Carolina, or Athens, Georgia. It's like the college town in a place where people are a little suspicious of college towns. Yeah, right. It's the one place in the state where people ride bicycles. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of yaks. Uh -huh. but, uh, but once this theory was accepted, people started to see these formations in other places around the world. And one of the places where these geological forms are also present is Tuva. Wait, is that true? Yeah. Tuva, the home of the, the world-famous Tuvan throat singers. Tuva, home of the throat singers, is also one of the few places where there are these giant earthen ripples. And it was because there were also frozen lakes in Siberia that just gushed south into Tuva. That's right. That's fascinating. It is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes Lake Missoula, entry 1351.PS13704. Certificate number 40632 in the omnibus. Well, that's two shows, you guys. Thank you for your patience.
Uh, we do have a little bit of time that we reserved for questions because we know that people want to ask questions. Some uh, of you are fans of John Roderick and don't know that uh, I was on a game show your grandmother probably loves. Maybe some of you are fans of mine and don't know about John's illustrious music career. I discourage you from mentioning Jeopardy. It's in my writer. You're not allowed to mention Jeopardy, in fact. <laughs> Ken will storm off the stage, at which point I will vomit and the show will be over. <laughs> I only answer questions about the match game 78. That's uh, my real game show expertise. Yes, sir. Uh, are there any instances of, uh, in Western popular music of people who employ the uh, The polyphony? Good. I have, ne I have never heard it. It feels very Bjorky, doesn't it? Like something that yeah. she would have figured out and, and... So I think we can say for a fact that if Bjork has never done it, no Western singer has done it. Unlikely. She, she would be the first, for sure, right? Right, right. It seems like something that Werner Herzog would know how to do. <laughs> but uh, that's a different genre of art. I mean, it's a kind of buzz you get in your throat. Like, it's, uh, what was that 70s board game where they said, five seconds to learn and a lifetime to master? I mean, I'm sure there are places on records where people doing kind of a guttural thing in their throat, you can hear that kind of a buzzy thing start. But they haven't really gone whole hog with it the way Anna Maria Heffala and the, the tribesmen of, of Tuva have. Right. I mean, I think that it's a genre that is open to being exploited. Maybe the waveform of the Tuvan throat singers, the fundamental note there, actually matches the ripples of their, uh, of their ice dam carved terrain. There is a lot of music now where the vocal uh, theatrics or acrobatics are pretty novel, right? I mean, even, uh, even someone like Tunyards uh, creates a lot of different sounds with her voice than you would have heard 10 years ago. If anybody tries it, they just auto-tune it away now. Yeah, that's a problem. You just press the, the non-tuva button. <laughs> Untuva this by 15%, someone will say. Yes, hello. Did you get the cat? We were talking about uh, Vito earlier tonight, and um, come to find out that Vito, a cat that I considered adopting to live in my barn and kill rats, uh, Vito viciously mauled the woman who rescued him and, and was housing him uh, because she committed the unspeakable crime of petting him. And Why does she want to get rid of this cat? Yeah, he gave her 40 stitches or something in her face. Um, and that doesn't dissuade me from owning Vito. I feel like we would come to an agreement pretty fast um, because I also have very sharp claws. But I have a six and a half year old daughter who, and I feel like Vito would be an attractive nuisance. Also, some of the things that I thought were rats living in my attic are actually bats living in my attic. And bats are a protected species nationwide and you cannot kill a bat in America. So I do not want to invite, uh, I don't want to invite that Bat-aside. Guy, yeah, the, the, uh, the environmental protection agency guy from Ghostbusters to come. <laughs> Yeah, because my, my vicious child-killing cat has a bat in its mouth. So I, and so I ended up not adopting Vito. You had to veto Vito. But I still think about him. Yes, there in the middle? Yes. Uh, I think you mentioned that the episode numbers, the certificate numbers, are not meaningless. Yes. I did mention well, that. Well, to you, probably. I mentioned that to everyone in the room only they're, they're meaningful an hour ago, but yes. Where did they come from? Aha! From the mind of Ken Jennings. I have a very uh, consistent and intuitive, I feel, cataloging system that I use to organize the entries in the omnibus. In my opinion, it's far too intuitive and self-evident to go into here. I don't want to waste 
I don't want to waste everyone's like time. Like a lot on of that. code makers and code lovers and code breakers, Ken thinks it's so obvious. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure if if we set if we set that woman in San Francisco oh, here in San Francisco who uh, who broke the Zodiac killer's code right. when it was in the newspaper, if she took a whack at it. Maybe San Francisco doesn't want to hear about tricky codes dreamed up by a, a, a devilish mystery man, you know? A little too soon for you guys. I don't know about, I don't know about devilish mystery man, but okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, we leave it to you. Exercise to the audience. Also, there are, uh, there are not running gags within the podcast, but there are over, overarching themes and unoverarching themes. <laughs> Wait, what's an unover like an underarching? Not theme? an un un an un a n an overarching theme. Hold on, is this two things? Is there an overarching theme and something else? And an un an uberarching theme <laughs> and an and an uh, and an underarching theme. Unter underarching theme.